Okay, we be we gonna be looking at angels today. Session three, session four. Sorry. Session four. <laughs> Okay, here's the setting. Let me give you a setting before we get to the first question. After the angel Gabriel announced to Mary that she would have a child, Mary visited Elizabeth. Then Elizabeth completed her pregnancy and gave birth to John, the forerunner of Jesus. Mary returned to Nazareth to prepare for the arrival of a baby. But political events happening in the region of Israel would shape the next chapter of her life. She and her husband would have to make a journey to Joseph's ancestral home, Bethlehem. That's our setting. Let's look at the first question that we have. <coughs> what is the first question? Question number one. What is the most difficult road trip you have ever taken? Anybody had a difficult road trip? Yes. Um, I was with my daughter in law. And her children, we are on a four-lane highway, mm -hmm. and one of the tires blew. Luckily, she pulled over on the side, but nobody stopped to help us. What was it you had? A tire blew. A tire blew. Okay. Uh, four-lane. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that could be challenging. Finally, I guess uh, on the four lane, there's he's been going up and down, and they called something some of us to come. Okay. So no cell phone about that again. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like the cell phone. Yeah. <laughs> Was there no cell phone? Yeah, yeah, they did that. So we were talking. Yeah, we did wait down there. Okay. Anybody else had a, had a challenging uh, road trip? Um, like a couple, once or twice with my mom and my dad and all the cousins and everything like going from Miami to Key West. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're uncomfortable in the car and there's so many people and like that. That to me, definitely need to fly to Key West. You know, you can't <laughs> just take a road trip. I find that it's uncomfortable when there's so many people and mm -hmm. you want half of the seat and all of that. Yeah. Well, I had so many of those, I can't even remember which one was more challenging. <laughs> yeah, I had a couple. Not so many, but I had a couple. <laughs> yeah, I think we had a, we went to a church van one time, we were going to, from Florida to Georgia, and a tire blew out uh, on the van, and, and uh, yeah, that was, that, I guess that's, that's one of the most challenging ones. Uh, when you get a, a bunch of young people on board, and everybody's screaming and carrying on. Okay, let's look at Bible Meets Life, page 49. Tis the season to be traveling. 
Some of us travel constantly, while others rarely leave our own communities. Whenever you fall on that spectrum, it's likely you have traveled, wherever you fall on that spectrum, it's likely you have traveled during the Christmas season. Traveling for Christmas is nothing new. The reason we even have Christmas started with the journey, Joseph and Mary's journey to Bethlehem. I doubt it was an easy trip either. When my wife and I were expecting our first child, she read a book about pregnancy that validated her extreme exhaustion. The book's author equated the energy a woman's pregnant body exerts at rest to that exerted by a non-pregnant mountain climber. Mm-hmm. On several occasions, I heard my exhausted wife declare, I was just climbing mountains. <laughs> the story of Jesus' birth is one of a journey. Joseph and Mary may have felt like their trip included climbing mountains, but the story includes an even greater journey. Jesus, the Son of God, left the glories of his throne in heaven to journey to earth. He came as an infant with one sole purpose, to bring us salvation. Okay, to bring us salvation. And what is the point? Jesus came for our salvation. Right. He came specifically for nothing else other than our salvation. What a journey, eh? Okay, let's look at the first power, uh, first um, passage we have. We have two today. Uh, the first is Luke uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. So we can have someone read that, and then just go right on and read the paragraphs that accompany that verse. Skip the questions. We'll get to the questions after we read the paragraphs. Because the questions are included in the, pa- in the passage. So let's have someone read the first one. Luke 2, 1 to 7. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole work, whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Corinius yes. was, was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth and Galilee. Gal- Galilee. Galilee. <laughs> Take your time. <laughs> to Judah. <laughs> to Judah, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to a firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Okay. Is it the key word too? No, excuse me. A decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Was the one? Was this one of the big Caesars or minor Caesar? Minor one. It's easy to get the Caesars confused because the empire had between 85 to 100 emperors. Depending on how we define legitimate emperors, this particular Caesar was born Gabius Octavius Octavius, and was the adopted son and primary heir to Julius Caesar. He was given the honorary title of Augustus as a sign of religious 
veneration. veneration. Under his long reign, the Roman Empire grew and flourished. He ordered the entire empire to be registered, a task that the Jews regarded as, distasteful, as a distasteful sign of Roman oppression. Some have questioned the historical authenticity of the, of the census register, and skeptics take issue with the, with the timing. Details of this census was likely common knowledge in Luke's time, but they are now lost to us. We know Jesus was born before 4 BC because Herod died that year. Uh, however, history records that Quirinius ruled in AD 6 to 7, and the historian Josephus. Josephus. Josephus noted a census occurred at that time. The apparent contradiction was resolved with the discovery of other ancient inscriptions that indicated Quirinius was in, in, in a position of command at two different times over the province of Syria, Syria which included Judea as a political outpost. Luke referred to this census as this first registration, implying that a later census also occurred, most likely the one offered by, Referred to. by Josephus, mm -hmm. which Luke certainly would have known about. For this registration, Joseph and Mary made the 90-mile trek from Nazareth yes. to Bethlehem. It is, just, it is significant that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. You notice, you notice the trek. This is Nazareth here. Yeah. This is Bethlehem. Oh, wow. See how far that is? How many days should we 90 miles. How many days would that take? Boy, that could take five. Five days is long About a week. And they want a donkey. Only? Wow. Yeah. And so you just sleep in the open then along the way? Wherever. Huh? Oh, it was uphill. Uphill. The elevation was rising. Yeah, the ele elevator was an, is a elevated. Just sleep on this, just in the open like that, or, or? Well, wherever they found the spot. Yeah. <laughs> All right, go ahead, continue. The Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Joseph was the descendant of David, thus Bethlehem was the ancestral home. Micah? I prophesied 800 years earlier that Bethlehem would be the birth, birthplace of the Messiah. He said, Bethlehem, you, you read this? Ephrathah. Ephrathah. You are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be, be ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from ancient times, Micah 5, 2. Micah's prophecy was intended to bring comfort to the despairing Israelites. In contrast to their broken situation, a great ruler would come to truly shepherd God's people. And he did come at another time when God's people faced outside oppression. When the Messiah came, when Jesus was born, Mary laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. We're not exactly sure of the exact nature of this location, although it implies that this type of quarters was usually a place occupied by animals. We've often heard there was no room in the inn, assuming the family was left outside. But Jesus used the same word 
in sending the disciples to ask about a guest room to prepare for the Passover meal, Luke 22 and 11. It is possible that Mary and Joseph were in a home, even perhaps a relative's home, but they were staying in a separate area where the animals were brought at night. In any case, the only available space to lay the newborn Jesus was in the animal was in the animal trough attached to the wall between the living quarters and the area where the animals were kept. The feeding trough or manger was certainly no ideal place for a crib. Such a humble beginning for any king, especially for the king of kings, but it was all according to God's plan and timing. Luke captured the simplicity of this grand and glorious event with these words. She gave birth to her firstborn son. To those? Yeah, go ahead. To those. to those who were eyewitnesses in the small village of Bethlehem, or even staying in the same place, they probably saw nothing more than a young mother with her first child. Any birth is a wondrous event in itself. Yet the majesty and glory of this particular birth was masked by the ordinariness of it all. Jesus came to be among us, so it is fitting that the moment of his birth was, in a sense, like any other birth. But the ordinary nature of Jesus' arrival was about to be overshadowed by a heavenly announcement. This was no ordinary birth. Okay. Very good. You stop right there. Well, that's the last of it. Uh, notice uh, it says on page 51, uh, just before we have the quote in Micah, it says, It is significant that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Joseph was a descendant of David, thus Bethlehem was his ancestral home. And then we see Micah prophesied that 800 years earlier that Bethlehem would be the birthplace of the Messiah. Significant, isn't it? 800 years before it happened, it was prophesied. Only God. Question number two. How do the circumstances of Jesus' birth help you relate to him? How do the circumstances of Jesus' birth help you Go ahead. I like how, what, I like how um, humble, He's, he was came very humbly. Humbly, okay. So like even the person who was like the most downtrodden could relate to him and you know, he didn't come to be some big king with all kind of things. Pomp and circumstance. Yeah, he's <laughs> like, you can reach him, anyone, because mm. he's so humble. So I like yeah. that. So a cartoon caption somewhere. <laughs> with the scene of the stable and Jesus laying in the manger and the animals around and there was a thought that the cow says, he's sleeping on my meal. <laughs> humble, very humble setting. Okay, question number three. What are some ways we can intentionally make room for Jesus in our lives? Intentionally. I think the, one of the best ways that you can make room in your life is to be your own self, number one, all it has it is, love one another as you have loved you. Okay. Because I, 
I don't see no way in the Bible where you would be able to go to heaven unless you would be able to get along with the other person. Because if you can't get along with the three who ask a thank you, stay down here. How are you going to get along with the other day? Could be carrying on. Yes, we get it a lot. But one thing I'll change. After death, I will no longer be who I am. Yes, there will be a change. Yes. Love is the key word I believe for anyone's life. Yeah. And you can see he was in a no. He would think he would be the high man. He spoke with the low. You know. He didn't have that. I see you as this. He identified with the Lord. Right, yeah. And you can see pride is nowhere around him. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's look at the final passage we have because we have limited time today. In fact, our time is just gone. But let's do this last one because we finish at uh, 10.15 because of the early service today. But let's look at the other passage. Uh, Luke 2, 8 to 14. Someone could go ahead and read that under accompanying paragraphs. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, There was a multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. My wife invented a game for our kids during the Christmas season. While the boys were asleep, she would hide the baby Jesus from our wooden nativity scene. And when the boys woke up, they would rush to find the baby Jesus. The next day, the game would start all over again. My wife used this simple game to remind our kids that Christmas is nothing without Jesus. Mm. Many people never look beyond Jesus' birth to discover that he came to earth to save all the people in the world from their sins. But even at Jesus' birth, while he was still lying in the manger, God wanted others to know what this birth meant. And he made his heavenly birth announcement through angels to the shepherds. In verse 8, Luke shifted scenes from the baby lying in a manger to shepherds who were staying out in the fields. Bethlehem was home to many shepherds who tended the sheep used in the temple sacrifices in Jerusalem, about six miles away. Shepherding was always a respected occupation in biblical times, although later rabbinical writings presented shepherds as despised social outcasts. That was not the case in first century Palestine. When an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them, the shepherds were understandably terrified. Wouldn't that be how any of us would react? Zechariah had been terrified and overcome with fear, and Mary was deeply troubled when the angel Gabriel appeared to them. And just as Gabriel had told Zechariah and Mary, This unnamed angel now told the shepherds, don't be afraid. No doubt, the appearance of God's holy messenger could trigger a healthy dose of awe and fear. But as mighty and awe-inspiring as an angel could be, he came with news that would banish their fears. In this case, fear would be replaced with joy 
don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. The source of this joy was the birth of Jesus, whom the angel described using several important terms like a Savior, the Messiah. Do you want me to read those? Yeah, just go quickly. Now, a Savior, the name Jesus is tied to the name Joshua, which means God is salvation. It is a most fitting name because our salvation is the very reason God came to earth. The Messiah, the Greek word is Christos, and we often translate this as Christ. It means the anointed one, the one God chose for the task of our salvation. The Lord. Lord is the title Luke used most often for Jesus. He is the master, the supreme authority in all things. This baby in the manger was God himself with all power and all authority under heaven. All this was certainly good news because God himself, the Lord of all, had come into our world to bring salvation. Jesus was the Christ, the anointed one who would make this possible. This good news, the gospel, elicits joy, not fear. Joy is the inward feeling of happiness and contentment that bursts forth in rejoicing and praise. But joy is far more than feelings of happiness because these are tied to our circumstances. Happiness can come and go, but joy supersedes all feelings. We can experience joy in the midst of difficulty, even if we're shepherds in a field at night or soldiers far from home. Joy is not centered in something we earn or possess. It comes from receiving God's gift of salvation, the good news. In verse 13, we see the word suddenly. Biblical writers often use this word to, to describe the unexpected nature of God's acts, especially events that involve life-changing circumstances. A multitude of angels, the heavenly host, suddenly appeared in the fields of Bethlehem. We do not know the number but a large band, a veritable army of God's messengers filled the sky with their proclamation. The angels were not addressing the shepherds, they were praising God, but the shepherds clearly heard their words of praise and what climactic words they were. Glory to God in the highest heaven. God deserves our highest praise for sending his son to be the perfect sacrifice for the sins of the world. Angels recognize the worth and weight of God's presence and praise him for it. Our purpose in life is to glorify God and realizing the wonderful salvation of God should deepen our desire to fulfill our purpose of glorifying God. The Apostle Paul powerfully stated our aim in 1 Corinthians 10.31. So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. The angels also proclaimed peace on earth to people he favors. God's peace is that inner sense of wholeness that only God can bring to believing hearts. His perfect peace surpasses all understanding, but it is real for all who believe. God favors us with his salvation and he brings inner peace to those who are saved by his grace. In this wonderful arrangement, we receive peace and God gets all the glory. All this happens because God's favor, his goodwill rests on us. Amen. Amen. Okay. 
company thoughts. Uh, let's look at live it out as we wrap it up here. As you remember God's wonderful gift of salvation, consider these ideas. Trust, worship, and pray. First, trust. Reflect on the goodness of God's salvation. If you've never accepted God's offer of salvation, do so now. For more on how to become a Christian, read the inside cover of this book. And I would encourage you to use that to, to challenge another individual who you know that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, this material can help you to do that. And then worship. As the angels give glory and highest honor to God, we likewise should aim to give all praise to God in our daily lives. Ask the Lord for a fresh zeal to live a life that glorifies Him in all things. Pick at least one specific trait of God that inspires you to worship Him today. And then pray. Pray specifically for someone you know whose heart needs to become open to the gospel. Consider how his or her life would be changed by the good news and how God would be glorified. Ask God to begin softening that person's heart to the message of Christ. Pray that God would open a door for you to share your faith. Amen?